Welcome to the Lagan Valley Vineyard Podcast. We are a community passionate about seeing Lagan Valley filled with the presence and the teachings of Jesus. If you would like to connect with us or if we can help you in any way, please visit our website, laganvalleyvineyard.com. Good afternoon. It is great to see you. Um, if we haven't met before, my name's Sue. I'm part of the team here at the vineyard. And as we uh, get started this morning. Can I invite us all to stand together? And we're going to read today's teaching text, uh, which is going to be lifted from uh, Matthew chapter 5. So, as we read these words of Jesus, may they shape us, may they form us, and may they lead us in the direction of God's kingdom. The words of Jesus. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house in the same way. Let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you teach us? Would you guide us and lead us on in the direction of your kingdom? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If my amen was like two seconds earlier, that would have been dope. Like that would have been amazing. I was able to call down rain or something. Anyway, um, if you've got a Bible with you, I'd love you to turn with me to Matthew chapter five. I'm just gonna have to speak super loud um, and just open up the teaching text that we read from Matthew chapter five, verse 13. This morning, we are launching into our week of prayer and fasting. And I wanna do something slightly differently this morning. Usually whenever we uh, teach through Matthew, we spend a lot of the time focusing on the one teaching text that we're exploring that morning or afternoon. But my goodness, Kira is wild, right? Um, but what I wanna do today is I wanna just share a short reflection from Matthew chapter five and then begin to set us up as we look to pray and fast this week as a community. So just remember Jesus, as we found out last week, has gathered together this crowd on the mountainside, this crowd that was made up of his disciples, but also those who had been following him as they had experienced healing or were wanting to be healed. And Jesus teaches in the two metaphors around how we as his followers are how to live our lives every single day. Remember the sermon, my goodness, the sermon on the mount is Jesus's vision for how we are to actually live in the reality of God's present kingdom. See if it starts to rain behind me, will you just give me a nod and let me know, is that all right? So uh, Jesus uses two really simple metaphors. Um, he uses the teachings around salt and light. And I wanna take each of these metaphors in turn. So look with me at verse 13. That's mad. I don't know what to do. Just. I'll just keep going. So, verse 13, in Matthew chapter 5. Come and reign your glory on us, Lord. Uh, Jesus teaches, you are the salt of the earth, but if its salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. 
I love that Jesus uses really simple metaphors to describe the nature of his kingdom. And salt speaks of two ways that we are to live. Now notice, Jesus starts off with, you are salt of the earth. He's not saying that I am, he's saying that you as my followers are to live in the same way that I have lived. And salt speaks of two ways that we're to live. It speaks about purity and it also speaks about flavor. Salt ultimately is it's a white, pure substance. It's free from discoloration. And in the Old Testament, salt would have been thrown at animals who were about to be sacrificed so that they would be made holy and made pure. And salt ultimately is used as a preservative to keep foods from going bad. And Jesus is inviting his followers here to live pure, holy lives. We as followers of Jesus, we are invited to pursue holiness, to allow our hearts, our lives, our actions, what we watch and what we don't watch, what we consume and what we don't consume, what we say and what we do to line up with the way of Jesus. We are to practice his way. And Jesus goes on to unpack what it looks like for us to live a holy life um, throughout the rest of chapter five. I'm not gonna have time to be able to teach into it this morning, but you'll be able to pick it up in three, two, one this week. We are invited to pursue holiness, but also salt is seasoning. We are to sprinkle um, a bit of seasoning on the food, right? That's how we use salt. Do you remember the viral video from last year of the chef who kind of did this along all of the food? We are to be a little bit like that whenever it comes to living out the way of the kingdom. We are to draw out goodness, draw out flavor. The kingdom of God, it carries a certain flavor. It carries goodness, healing, renewal, joy, sacrifice, a deep concern for the poor, peace, and love. And we are to embody the flavor of the kingdom of God everywhere that we go, in our workplaces, in our communities, with the relationships that we are in. We are to carry the flavor of the kingdom and we are to season every situation with its goodness. Jesus is really clear here. So if you've got an issue with this, take it up with him, don't take it up with me. Jesus is saying here, if we are not pursuing purity and if we're not living out a kingdom flavor, we really don't have much to offer in the life of the kingdom of God. His words, not mine. Our pursuit of holiness is to embody the characteristics of Jesus. It's so key that we pursue holiness and we try to live into the flavor of the kingdom of God. Because as we do that, we become distinct. We become set apart, our lives look different. As we make different choices from what is normal, whenever, like around us, anything goes right now. And whenever we choose to live in the way of the kingdom and not the calf, as we talked about last Sunday, we will live very, very different lives. We will stick out, our lives will be distinct. And with that, Jesus goes on to teach into a second metaphor for the shape that our lives should take. Read with me, verse 14, 15. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. Jesus, who the chapter before acknowledged that he was the light of the world, is inviting the hearers of this sermon, his disciples, he is inviting us as Lagan Valley Vineyard to be the light of this world to be the light of this region. The question is, how do we do that? 
Read with me verse 16. Jesus gives us the answer. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. We do this by practicing the way of Jesus, by adopting his lifestyle, by doing the same things that he did. Our good deeds, living into the way of Jesus, they can't help but point people in the direction of the kingdom and draw people in worship of God. And through our practice, we get to live as light. And there's two things I just wanna flag up around light. They're really simple, but I love how uh, piercing Jesus' teaching is even in its simplicity. Light can't help but overcome darkness. You stick a light on in a dark room and instantly the atmosphere completely changes. And we are to be the kind of people who change atmospheres, that whenever we step into rooms, into situations, into difficult circumstances, we are to bring light. We are to change the atmosphere. Darkness can't help but realize that it is inferior to light. And even in dark, difficult, hard situations, darkness can't help but realize that there is a greater power, the greater power of God. Light also illuminates and it also guides. I don't know about you, but in my life, there are so many people around me who find themselves in a complete tailspin, who are disorientated, who are just beaten up by life. And we get to be a beacon to those loved ones, those friends, those people that we're connected with. We get to illuminate and guide their path in the direction of hope and goodness. We get to direct them towards Jesus himself. Light ultimately cannot be hidden. It makes no sense to cover over a lamp. And in the same way, what Jesus is saying here is that there is no such thing as a private faith, a hidden faith, a just show up on Sunday, tick the box, and not tell anybody about your faith kind of faith. It simply doesn't fit into the teachings of Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount. We, as the followers of Jesus, we are to be visible. We are to be a clear beacon of a different way to be human. Dietrich Bonhoeffer puts it like this. Again, if you take some issue with what I'm about to say, it's Dietrich Bonhoeffer's words and not mine. He says this, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the followers of Jesus are the visible community of faith. Their discipleship is a visible act which separates them from the world or it is simply not discipleship. Discipleship is as visible as light in the night as a mountain in the flatland. To flee into invisibility is to deny the call. Any community of Jesus which wants to be visible is no longer a community that follows him. Discipleship is an invisible act which separates. And this is what Jesus is saying here. Our way, our following his way, it makes us distinct and it makes us visible. We, you, my brothers and sisters, we are to be salty. We are to carry a different flavor to those around us. We are to embody a distinct vision of the kingdom of heaven, which is at hand. We are to live visibly and live differently. We are to live the Christ life in the Christ way, not hiding our faith, but allowing everybody to see it. Again, the teachings of Jesus are so simple, but if you let them, they'll just pierce your soul. So let me ask you, as you look at your life, its form and its shape, 
is there anything different going on? Let me ask you it like this, perhaps. Are you visibly practicing the way of Jesus for all to see? Or are you just kind of hiding back in the shadows and laying low? Jesus is inviting you and he's inviting me to live into the direction of his kingdom by being both visible and being distinct. And yet, everywhere we turn, from the moment that we wake up, roll over and pick up our phones, turn off the alarm and jump on our emails, we receive the invitation to do the complete opposite of that. Instead of being distinct and visible, our culture, whether we see it or not, it is diluting us down and it's kind of shaping us and forming us in such a way as to allow our faith to become private, hidden, hanging out in the shadows. There's no need to be different whenever you can just go along with everybody else, right? It's best not to stick out. Like so often, this diluting down, this kind of privatization of our faith, it doesn't really happen because of anything major. It doesn't happen because we're kind of like just saying no to Jesus, but it's happening in the subtleties of life, mostly in distraction. Ronald Rollheiser puts it like this. It's gonna appear on the screen. He wrote these words in 1999, so um, they've aged a little bit, but he puts it like this. We are more busy than we are bad. We're more distracted than we are non-spiritual, and we're more interested in the movie theater, so just insert Netflix, than the sports stadium and the shopping mall, insert Amazon, and the fantasy life that they produce in us than we are in church. Pathological busyness, distraction, and restlessness are major blocks, within, uh, major blocks today within our spiritual lives. In the Jesus way, the good life is found in being distinct and visibly demonstrating the culture of the kingdom of God. Whereas Gia Tolatino puts it, it's gonna appear on the screen. You don't have to do much of anything but sit behind a screen to live an acceptable, possibly valorized or honored 21st century life. Our culture, it's doing something to us. The waters that we swim in in our daily lives, they are doing something to us. They are numbing us diluting down our distinctiveness and making it fit in with just everybody else. Think about TV, for instance. Have you noticed that we're all watching the same TV shows? Like whenever you jump on Netflix, you instantly think that you've got this limitless um, accessibility to an endless stream of great TV. And yet whenever you dig into it, there's a lot of faff in there. And so we just kind of focus on the same couple of TV shows, right? We're kind of all watching the same stuff the crown or the thing about the cats. That's kind of what we're watching, right? Or think about music, and I'm guessing all of us stream music these days, unless you're one of those people that are still holding onto your mini discs, hoping that they're gonna kind of come back full circle. If you don't know what mini discs are, you people. Um, so before Spotify and Apple Music, there was iTunes, and before iTunes, there was a thing called the CD. It kind of went around like that. And before the CD, there was this thing called LimeWire, where we all downloaded way too much music than we should have done. I still feel bad about it, forgive us, Lord. And you put those things onto a thing called a mini disc, and then that's culture of music in 15 steps. Anyway, so have you noticed if you do stream music that, um, particularly if you're on Spotify, that your daily mix also your Discover Weekly playlist, the playlists that are curated for you, there's actually nothing new in them. 
They're just the same music that you've been listening to, the same songs, the same artists, the same albums. Culture is limiting our distinctiveness. It's not opening us up to anything new. It's just inviting us to go with the crowd and to be samey, to just do the same thing as everything else. Now, this way of living with tech and uh, the way modern life is, it makes things so much more efficient and so much more accessible, but they've actually done something to our deepest longings and our deepest desires. Because ultimately we celebrate life whenever we buy in and fit in with everybody and everything else. There is no room for being distinct or visibly practicing a different way of life. It feels as if we're living with a theology from a different planet. So what can we do with all of this? There's one thing I think that cuts through the ambient noise of fitting in and it is passion. Whenever you hear somebody gloriously go off on one about something that they are passionate about, I don't think there's anything quite like it. I love it. I love that the tone of their voice quickens and becomes more confident. It doesn't matter what they're talking about, whether it's a business idea or farming or their kids, whatever it might be, whether I agree with it or disagree with it, I am just drawn to passionate conversation. Like whenever I hear Emma talk about treating patients well, or I hear my best mate talk about cycling infrastructure, whenever I hear Lauren talk about prayer, or even whenever I catch myself talking about burgers, like I'm just so drawn to passion. Yes, you totally heard me right. Passion, it can't fit in with the crowd. Passion can't hide itself. It breaks through. Passion is distinctive and it makes itself visible. To live distinct and visible lives in the kingdom, I believe that we need to learn to cultivate a passionate pursuit of Jesus. Nicholas Ludwig Zinzendorf, great name, store that up for your list. Leader of the Movarians, who experienced an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the 1700s and launched a century-long, non-stop, day-in, day-out prayer gathering, sending missionaries all across Europe, said words that I first read whenever I was 19 years old, and they've just been seared into my heart. It's gonna appear on the screen. Zinzendorf said this, I have one passion, and speaking of Jesus, he said, it is he, only he. What would it look like for this to be the resounding anthem of our lives? What would that look like for us? This, this is a salty life that is full of light. And it might be helpful just before I move on to flag up what I mean whenever I talk about passion. Because whenever we picture passion, we can think of people getting super loud. And of course, passion does get loud sometimes. If you've been around us, you will know that that's the kind of community that we are. But passion isn't just this burst of energy that then just falls flat. Passion, it plays the long game. It's consistent. It's committed over the long game, over the course of our lives. Consider the passion that you have for your spouse, for your family, for your friends, or for your vocation. Passion is found in a lifetime of burning in every single moment. I love how Eugene Peterson puts it in his translation of Romans chapter 12. It's gonna appear on the screen. 
Don't burn out, but keep yourselves fueled and aflame. Be alert servants of the master, cheerfully expectant. Don't quit in hard times. Pray all the harder. How can we keep ourselves fueled and aflame? I think the answer is pretty simple, but it's important to consider it. We are kept fueled and aflame by practicing the way of Jesus. It's the same answer, by doing the same things that he did. Because as we do, we come to see that his way so often leads us in the opposite direction from the way of modern life. It leads us beyond living these numb, private, go with the crowd, distracted, busy lives. The practices of Jesus, they carry us into his presence. And as the disciples find out on Resurrection Sunday on the road to Emmaus, your hearts begin to burn whenever you realize that Jesus is really close by. Other people's passion, by the way, it can't carry you over the long game. It may be for a while at the start, but there reaches a point whenever you need to practice the passionate way of Jesus for yourself, allowing yourself to burn. So consider what we're gonna do this week, because as we fast this week, we're gonna be going in the opposite direction of instant gratification. We're gonna be going in the opposite direction of having all of our appetites and desires met instantly. We're gonna withhold ourselves from them. And why? So that we're able to pursue a deeper desire. We're able to tap into a holier longing as we experience God. Or whenever we pray this week, in an age whenever we are just formed to be our own boss, to have things our own way, we are going to passionately cry out, God, would you let your kingdom come? And would you let your will be done? We're going to surrender our lives to him in prayer once again. This week and beyond this week, there's an invitation for us all to passionately pursue Jesus, to be shaped into salt and into light. But as I begin to wrap up, I wanna take a few minutes to teach into the practices of both prayer and fasting, particularly fasting, because it may be a newer idea for some of you. But let me just talk about prayer really briefly for a few moments. The practice of prayer is gonna be so familiar to all of us. Actually, it is the basis of what makes us human. And this week through 321, through gathering at 7 a.m., through lunchtimes, uh, prayer walking and worshiping with tribes, gathering in the 24-hour prayer space that we're gonna be curating at the end of the week, we want to invite you to pray and to practice praying in different ways, maybe ways that you haven't done before. Ultimately, really simple headline, prayer is all of the ways in which we both communicate and commune with God. Or as a scholar has put, has put it, prayer is the soul's native language. Our natural posture is attentive openness to the divine. It's beautiful, isn't it? Prayer, it makes us attentive and it opens us up to the goodness of God. And prayer ultimately is the most natural state for us to be in. It's like breathing. As we breathe in and we breathe out, we get to experience God's goodness, communicate with him. It's just simple. It's so ingrained in who we are as humans, in our bodies, in our physicality. Prayer is so important, but we just get so distracted away from it.
There's two aspects of prayer that I want to highlight for us as we begin to step into this week. Two ways that we'll be praying, and I like to call them both contending prayer and contemplative prayer. In contending prayer, we get to act like priests, like ministers. We get to mediate between heaven and earth. We get to cry out that God would move and we contend on behalf of others and situations that we're connected to or situations that are worlds apart. This week, I've, uh, I've been moved as I have seen you as our community and particularly the Bradley family step into contending prayer and lead us into it. Thank you so much for how you've led us this week. It has been remarkable to see how we have prayed and particularly um, the late hours of Tuesday night into the wee hours of Wednesday morning as people just sacrificed sleep, stayed up all night, set alarms to be able to get up throughout the night to pray for Stephen as he woke. It was unbelievable to be able to witness it. It humbled me, it stirred my heart. This week, we have lived like priests. We have contended so, so well. God has shown up in miraculous ways. But I want you to notice what it has done to us. It has increased our faith and it has made us bolder. Like Jesus, our faces have been set like flint. We have focused and we have got on our knees and we have prayed. Please don't stop right now. Let's continue in that. Just like we've done this morning with some of you who are broken and hurting, we want to continue in that great sense of boldness. We want to lead into that. We want one of the markers of our community to be boldness in prayer. Because we learn to become bold in prayer. Yes, as we contend, but more than that, as we learn to contemplate, as we learn to experience and open ourselves up to the goodness of Jesus. I want to read a, a longer quote, but it's an important quote um, by Ronald Rollheiser. It puts it like this. Prayer is about love. It's meant to establish friendship. Friendship, as St. John of the Cross puts it, the great Spanish mystic, prayer is a question of attaining boldness with each other. Whenever we have touched each other's lives deeply, we can be bold with each other and we can then ask each other for help, ask each other to be present without needing an excuse or share our deepest feelings. Just think about the people that are closest to you in your life. Good friendship inspires boldness. The object of prayer is to precisely attain this kind of boldness with God, to try to reach a point where we are comfortable enough with God to ask for help just as we would with a trusted friend. But to reach this kind of trust, we must first let God touch us in the heart. This means prayer is not so much a question of having beautiful thoughts about God as it is of feeling God's affection for us. So whenever we go to pray, what we need most to ask is to hear vo uh, God's voice within us saying, I love you. Nothing, nothing, nothing will heal us more and nothing will make us more bold before life's mystery and goodness than hearing those words from Jesus himself. I love you, I see you, I am for you, I am with you. Our very capacity to love depends on it. As we receive God's affection for us, as we hear his voice in our lives, we are filled with hope to go and pray bold prayers. We don't need to approach God as this distant puppet master but we can come to him as a loving father 
we can come to Jesus as a trusted friend, one who we trust because we know his love and we know his presence. And from that place of trust, we can turn to him in everything and boldly pray our best prayers. This week, we're gonna invite you to pray some really big prayers. We're gonna pray for healing for members of our community and beyond. We are gonna pray for the winds of revival to be whipped up across our land. We're gonna pray for the hold of domestic violence to be broken across our region. We're gonna pray that your town and your village will be filled with the life of the kingdom. We're gonna be praying for family members and loved ones who don't know Jesus yet, that they would encounter the goodness of God. We're gonna pray for perseverance for the persecuted church. And we're gonna pray for our young people to become passionate leaders in our nation. And ultimately, we're gonna pray the biggest prayer of them all. God, let your kingdom come. And through that, we're also gonna invite you to slow right. You got a mic? No, I give me a mic. We're gonna... Sorry, one second. We're gonna invite you to slow right the way down and to hear the voice of your father speak into your heart and say, I love you, I see you, you're my child and I'm pleased with you. So as we pray, we're also going to fast. This is the point that everybody's a little bit nervous about. So let me just ease your nerves. For some of you, fasting is a completely new and perhaps a completely bonkers idea. So let me walk you through what fasting is and what it looks like for us to be able to practice it. So a headline definition of fasting is gonna appear on the screen. It is this, fasting is going without something, normally food, in order to hunger for more of God and to create more space for focused times of prayer, worship, and the passionate pursuit of Jesus. In fasting, you get to abstain from something that sustains you in everyday life, something that's kind of like a base appetite, um, and you're gonna be able to kind of say no to that for a while, whether that's a couple of hours or a couple of days, and to be able to enter into deeper longing. Fasting ultimately is saying no for the sake of a bigger yes. Now, traditionally, throughout the scriptures, right the way throughout church history, fasting has involved not eating for certain periods of time. But the truth is, food is not the only thing that sustains us in the life that we find ourselves in. Just, you know, this thing right here, hello. You know, we, like, we wake up with this thing, we go to bed with this thing. Whenever you think about it, that's a bit weird, right? So, our, like our phones, our screens, tech, it has become sustenance for everyday living. Like we can't live without it. And yet every day we just find ourselves just feeding off new cycles, pictures of other people's best lives and gifts. Like how many gifts do we send every single day or receive, right? Now, I want you to hear me. Phones, screens, coffee, shopping, or whatever, the things that sustain us in everyday life, they are not bad things, right? but they only scratch surface appetites and desires. In fasting, we get the opportunity to abstain from some of these things for a while and attend to our deeper hungers. And this week, we're gonna invite you to fast. No, we're not gonna be prescriptive about what that looks like for you, 
but we want to give you the freedom to be able to practice fasting as you can. So before we get into it this week, let me just highlight some really helpful principles around fasting. So the first thing, turn with me to Matthew chapter 6, the chapter after we explored in today's teaching text. I want you to just notice just a couple of words. Matthew 6 verse 2, the first three words, when you give. Jump down to verse 5, you'll notice when you pray. And then jump down to verse 16, when you fast. Fasting is not an explicit command, but it's an invitation for us to do the same things that Jesus did. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago whenever we saw Jesus being tested in the wilderness. But in the teachings of Jesus of Nazareth, there is an assumption that fasting, just like prayer and just like giving, is a normal habit for us to be engaging in as followers of Jesus. Second thing, fasting is feasting. Fasting is not primarily about not eating. I want you to hear me on that. Fasting is feasting on the goodness of God, experiencing his presence, depending on him, gazing on his beauty, and enjoying life with him. Fasting isn't the suppression of desire, but actually it's the intense pursuit of it. Because in fasting, we go after the thing that is most important to us, which is Jesus. Three, fasting reveals us. It reveals our character. More than any other discipline or spiritual practice, fasting reveals who we truly are, our motivations, the things that mark our lives. And I don't just mean like we get a little bit hangry and then get a little bit annoyed, but so often whenever we kind of step back and we abstain from food or from phones or whatever, we see that a lot of those things have been covering over what is going on underneath the surface. So whenever you fast, you may find that things like pride, unforgiveness, conviction of the Holy Spirit may bubble to the surface, and that is no bad thing. Consider how uh, we've explored the book of Matthew. Just approach Jesus, repent, receive his grace, and change the way that you think. Allow yourself to be formed more into his likeness. Fasting reveals, as Richard Foster so helpfully puts it, how easily we begin to allow non-essentials to take precedent in our lives. Four, fasting is not putting God in our debt. It's not like having this standoff between an adult and a child over the last bit of broccoli, like I'm refusing to eat it. That's not what fasting is. Fasting doesn't put God in our debt. Fasting ultimately is a recognition of our weakness and the power of God. Fasting, number five, it focuses us. Now, I want to uh, read a quote. It wouldn't be like me. Um, uh, um, which has been kind of haunting me the past couple of weeks, and, um, but I think it's really important whenever we consider our attention. Um, a technology guru, James Williams, puts it like this. We experience the externalities of the attention economy in little drips. Now, attention economy is our screen world, uh, the 24-hour news cycle, another notification on WhatsApp. And so we tend to describe them in terms of mild amusement, like annoying or distracting. But this is a grave misreading of their nature. In the short term, distractions can keep us from doing the things that we want to do, right? They kind of withhold us from what we're wanting to do. But in the longer term, they can accumulate. They can build up and they keep us from living the lives that we want to live. Or even worse, they undermine our capacities for reflection and self-regulation, making it harder to want what we want to want. 
they change our desires and our longings. Thus, there are deep ethical implications lurking here for freedom, for well-being, and the integrity of the self. Everything is distracting us. The question is, are we going to let it? And distractions, notifications, they are a bit annoying in the moment, but the modern age is shaping us away from our deepest desires, particularly of learning to practice the way of Jesus. But fasting, it strips all of that back. Whenever I fasted social media before, I'm, I'm currently um, engaged in that. And the first couple of days of fasting social media, um, I just find myself just scrolling on Gmail. Like I just was so used to doing that, that I just had to keep on doing it. It's like muscle memory, right? But then I began to realize that my life isn't really determined by other people's stories or their lives. I'm able to live my life and do what I want to do, to not react off other people whenever I see them living their best lives. I get jealous, I get concerned, am, am I missing out? I've got some serious FOMO going on. Instead, I'm able just to live the way that I want to live attending to my deepest desire, following the way of Jesus and doing what he wants me to do. Six, through fasting, we get to hear God's voice. Ultimately, as we focus more, we hear from him more readily and more easily. And during times of fasting, God does grant insight and revelation, particularly whenever a community does it in prayer. The prophetic just gets louder in our lives whenever we fast. There's more words of knowledge, there's more pictures, and there's more dedication to the scriptures. Seven, uh, fasting is also an act of prophetic resistance. We are not just consumers, and it's also an act of solidarity. As we go without, we get the opportunity to stand with those who go without all of the time. And our prayers, they kind of become embodied through our empty stomachs. And eight, ultimately, more than anything, we get to experience the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. A few weeks ago, Andy spoke on the wilderness experience for Jesus. And I love Luke's description of that moment for him. In Luke chapter four, verse one, it says this, Jesus full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. But 14 verses later, at the end of the wilderness experience, it says this, Jesus returned from Galilee in the power of the Holy Spirit. In fasting, we get access to greater power, seeing our prayers answered. We get to see the Spirit move in and through our lives. Now let me land this all with some hopefully pretty helpful practical tips on fasting. Because this week you may want to join us as we abstain from food or from social media, uh, from screens, from shopping, from coffee, from booze or whatever. But as you abstain, you create space. And into that space, we are to do something. We are to pray, passionately pray. Into that space we can worship. Into that space we can open ourselves up to the truth of God's word. Fill that space that you create with prayer, with worship, and with the scriptures. And you may want to join us throughout the week, whether it's here or in our office or the prayer space that we're creating at the end of the week or through Jericho's tonight at Glenavy or next week in Jamor. You may want to set aside some time to come and to join us in it. It's also really important, don't make a big deal of what you're doing. In Matthew chapter six, Jesus teaches on this. Don't draw attention to yourself whenever you fast. Also, if you feel shame for breaking a fast early or you feel pride while you fast, you're doing it all wrong. That is not what fasting is about. 
And if you are fasting food, just a couple of things that are really important for you to hear. There are two different kinds of fast. There's a partial fast where like Daniel in the Old Testament, you kind of gave up certain foods for a certain season. And then there's also a regular fast where you fast all food, but you do still drink water. Please drink water, right? Um, now, if you haven't fasted before, the key is progression. So I would not recommend that you go a full day, never mind a full week fasting food if you've never done it before. Start with one meal, maybe lunchtime throughout this week, and then begin to build it up. It's, this might be helpful for parents. Um, it might be helpful to consider fasting uh, from dinner time on one evening right the way through to the start of dinner time the next evening so that your family are not affected as you begin to fast. Have conversations with your family about what this looks like. Plan this out well and begin to build this into your rhythm of life as you practice the way of Jesus. Now, it's really important that I just flag this up as well. If you're under 16, if you have underlying medical conditions, if you've struggled with eating disorders recently, if you're pregnant or breastfeeding, we would encourage you not to fast food this week. If you do want to consider what fasting looks like, please speak to your doctor. I'm not a doctor. All right, so please go and speak to your GP. And do be mindful about um, exercise levels, be mindful about work that's gonna be happening this week. It's really important. And also Friday, fellas, it's Valentine's Day. So some of us um, are gonna be fasting for a couple of days and then breaking fast on Friday because the romance is still not dead, people. So um, enjoy planning out how you're gonna fast this week and do consider it may be food and it also may be other things like phones or screen or whatever. Now, into this space, the key is to both contemplate and to contend. There are so many opportunities this week for you to be engaging in prayer and fasting. Yesterday, you would have received an email from us with a schedule of everything that's taking place. It's also all on our website. We would love it if you wanted to speak to uh, Lauren at the end of the gathering, who's gonna be at the connection desk. If you're not getting emails from us, sign a connection card and give it to Lauren and we'll let you know about everything that's taking place. But the question is, why are we doing this? In an age whenever we are distracted into invisibility, we want to create a week where we go in the opposite direction. That as we fast and as we pray, we wanna create the conditions for the Holy Spirit to form us and to shape us, to make us both distinct and visible that we as the church would live like a city on a hill, that we would become beacons of Jesus for the Lagan Valley. Passion is the thing that cuts through the noise and we want our hearts to burn once again. And that is really good news for us, but it is really good news for everybody in this region. This region doesn't need apathetic, lukewarm Christians. They need those whose hearts burn within them for the kingdom and its way. This week, may the resounding anthem of our lives be, we have one passion. It is he, only he. Let's stand together, shall we? We're gonna kick off our week of prayer and fasting by praying. Um, see what I did there and I want to invite us to be able to pray and then we're going to worship and we're going to pray a prayer 
of commissioning ultimately as we release you into a week of prayer and fasting. And then we're gonna sing a song of pursuit, a song of passion, a song that is full of longing. So here's what we're gonna do. Mikey, do you wanna pick up the first slide for us? We're gonna pray a prayer together. Um, if you haven't done this before, I'm gonna pray the things in, the words in kind of like light gray, and you're gonna join me by praying the words in the kind of dark gold text. This prayer is the prayer of our hearts. It's a prayer of longing and it's a prayer of desire. It's a prayer that even as we pray it, I believe that the Holy Spirit will do something in us as he releases us more into what he is inviting us into. And so with that, this prayer cannot go like, you're good, always good, infinitely good, right? This is a prayer of pursuit, of longing and of desire. So can you join me in praying this loudly, boldly? Would you give it some of uh, whatever that thing is? Would you give it some of it, all right? Are you with me in this as we pray? Are you with me as we pray? Brilliant, come on, all right. So here we go. Jesus, you are our passion. You and you alone are the Lord of our lives. Join me, you are good, always good, infinitely good. You are alive and with us in everything we face. You are our Father, Sustainer, Savior, and you're our friends. We focus our attention on you. Our attention is the beginning of our devotion. May you reveal more of your heart and your glory to us. May you expand and extend our vision of your kingdom. May you fill us with courage as we passionately pursue you. Come, Holy Spirit. We, your people, choose to surrender our lives to you once again. Teach us how to pray. Guide us along your way. Forgive us for whenever we have hidden ourselves and lost our flavor. Make us a distinct and visible once again, shining like a city on a hill. And we fast, and as we pray, our desire remains the same. King Jesus, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done across the lagging valley as it is in heaven. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.